Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. Joseph. Zanthony. Good evening. At what point in being a vampire did you learn to play the organ? <laughs> it's funny you ask. Actually, it was uh, pretty early on. I started as an organ player in, the old in my old town of uh, Vansburg. Vansburg. Yeah, yeah, Vansburg. Oh. Yes, it was. It, oh, I was. I, yes. I would play in the church, and I was very de devoted. Uh, but then I was bitten by a vampire, and now that I play the organ here in our castle on the hill. Mm. Mm. <laughs> what happens if you're not turned into a vampire in Eastern Europe? Do you not get the accent? <laughs> I, I, um, <laughs> I, maybe it just comes, here's my question, I guess that just kind of comes with it, maybe it's part of the, um, the, the role of being a vampire, mm -hmm. unless it's like a what we do in the shadow situation, and so there's vampires with Eastern European accents in New York, um, who aren't from New York, I don't know, I yeah, guess. That, well, that, that's how they explain it away, it's that yeah. they're, you know these these foreigners that have <laughs> yeah. found themselves uh, like you know New, New York's one of the most diverse yeah. places on earth. Everybody's there, you know. Exactly. Everybody from everybody from every continent is there in New York, right? Uh, and vampires and vampires on Staten Island, which is the best. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I I mean technically, I guess it doesn't really matter, given that it's from. There's vampires all over, according to the lore, if you will. But I feel like because of the tropes that come in later, it's just mm -hmm. assumed that everybody sounds like Count Chocula. Yes. Um, I, I, I guess my... The, the other thing to always wonder about is whenever someone... I mean, I don't know if this happens to you, but like sometimes you're like looking at things from the past mm -hmm. or you're looking at someone who's in another culture. Maybe they don't even speak a language you can understand, uh, but you could spot the person who's maybe the type of person that you are, you know, like, right. uh, like recognizing that every culture has some kind of hipster, you know, <laughs> in maybe our case. Right, right. But, like, the types of things that graft one culture to another of subcultures, mm. you know? Right, right. Yeah, and, I mean, I don't know, maybe, like, 
maybe there's vampires that want to play harpsichord instead of the organ, the pipe organ, because I feel like that's the other <laughs> option we're talking about. Yeah, uh, with vampires. that's true. Maybe they played guitar. Can't say no. Maybe, we don't yeah, know. I would say I could see a flamenco guitar playing I could vampire. See. That would be pretty cool. I wonder if they could throat sing. That would be pretty awesome. I haven't seen that mm. happen yet. I'm into that. That is interesting. That right? is interesting. Mm. I, you, you know what? I literally have not seen that. A bagpipe playing. Uh, a, a banjo playing oh, vampire. Oh, that's a good one yeah. too. Hollywood, take it now. I mean, this is real. This yeah. is good material right here. Um, well, I mean, we saw what would happen if vampires were from uh, Seattle, right? We did. Did I tell you I recently rewatched Twilight? You mentioned this. Yeah. And not only did you rewatch it, you watched it on your birthday. Well, I watched it a few days after <laughs> my birthday when hanging out with people for a bad movie. You watched night. it for your birthday party. I Look, it's been a while. I was genuinely curious and I figured, hey, you know, this is a movie that some of us have seen, some of us hadn't, and uh why not? Let's watch this. So that way it's kind of watchable, but also kind of terrible and fun to laugh at. So I... Fair enough, I guess. But <laughs> if it, it's... I, I mean, you know, yeah, I, I've rewatched Twilight recently for LARFs. I'm going to say that first movie, at least, I can't speak to the other one because... <laughs> yeah. Um, I've only seen the first Twilight and then the second and third uh, Fifty Shades of Grey movies. So okay. I have to That's... kind of piece the plot together from <laughs> yeah, all of those. Right. Um, the thing is, the first Twilight movie, honestly, I really found myself liking Bella. Interesting. Like, Interesting. I, at least I was liking the way Kirsten Stewart was playing her because I think she understood this is just a weird, lonely girl. You know, she's got right. her little she's got her little cactus in a pot. You <laughs> yes. Know? Yes. You know, and that that is the whole thing about twilight is it i and i understand too like you know stephanie meyer's like a single mom mm -hmm. writing this story and it but it is also like very much a a very young person's idea of a sophisticated person you know right the way she says you talk like you're from a different era and like <laughs> edward hasn't has barely spoken up until that point in the movie <laughs> oh my god yeah well like i i was made aware that like stephanie meyer was mormon and based mm. and it's also t twilight's a self-insert which i didn't know that and i had no idea that like in the books that she's like portrayed as a, like as Bella is portrayed as a very specific looking character, like the way that she dresses, um, mm -hmm. which I was just not aware of any of the Mormon coding that takes place in the story, which like Mormon coding. Yeah. <laughs> which... hey, wait, is that that's <laughs> Joe Mormon coding is just Ken Jennings. <laughs> he is a coder who is Mormon. Uh, is that how that works? I guess so. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I guess there's a reason we're probably, you know, dressed as vampires right now in a spooky castle that feels like it's out of a Dracula movie and also talking about Twilight for some reason, right? And it's not just for, you know, the sick fits. They are pretty cool, aren't they? I feel like we could bring them back. Mm -hmm. It's definitely coming I back. I think so.
I mean, I, I I feel like that is kind of like a lot of alternative fashion. Oh, yeah. That is like kind of looking like a vampire. It's technically thrifted. So, yeah, it's at least sustainable in that sense. Yeah, I mean, one of one I I have a tweed blazer that I inherited that has a moth bite on the lapel. Oh, and I'm I'm kind of proud of that. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, it is pretty spooky. I'll give you that. Um, I mean, uh, I guess personally speaking, have you ever been afraid of? the story of a vampire like have you mm. watched a movie where you've been afraid of vampires it feels like a lot it, it feels like a very old-fashioned paranoia in a lot of ways and yes i'm also aware that there's uh at least a certain school of thought that thinks of vampires as paranoias for conservatives where right, zombies right. are paranoias for uh people on the uh on the left so Interesting. am i just am am i just uh not afraid of vampires because i'm a dirty uh bleeding heart liberal <laughs> well i'm also not afraid of vampires so i don't know how much that goes into it i yeah i mean i think it's an older fear for sure uh, given mm -hmm. what we're going to be talking about and getting into with some of the research that I was doing on this, I think it's much mm -hmm. older, um, mm -hmm. both historically speaking and also like, you know, 200 years plus in our own history. I think that also they've just become goofier over time. And I kind of love that for them. Like for the well, fact they have so many rules. Oh, and it's crazy. And it's like actually insane, both them and also the way to kill a vampire. Like, I, mm -hmm. I I want to hold out on when I say these, but it's just some of them are kind of insane. And also, like, yeah. the fact that there's, like, arguments over it and how you're going to handle this and what are we going to do? <laughs> and it's just like, oh, my God. Like, and the thing is, it's they change constantly, like, the rules for mm -hmm. what a vampire is or what a vampire actually is. And by the time, like, it gets to where the movies take over. I mean, over, Billy, Billy Corgan told us all that the world is a vampire. Wait, what? The world is a vampire. Despite all my rage, I'm still just a... You, no. Smashing Pumpkins, Joe? I do, but I don't remember the song. Oh, God, that's it embarrassing. Was like, it was like the intro to... um. God, what was that show? Uh, Wasn't it the intro to Whale Wars? Was it? <laughs> what? A, it's very specific. <laughs> Why? Huh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I guess that's like I think that's what people that like want to think is like the badass yeah. like anti-establishment song is, is the world smashing pumpkins. <laughs> I mean, I guess. Uh no. I'm more I'm more of a 1979 mm, fan yes. when it comes to smashing pumpkins. Fair, same here. Other otherwise everything else is just we get it Billy Corgan, you have a big muff pedal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's pretty accurate did i ever tell you that i um and i'll drop the pop culture references from here and we'll actually get into some of this but like did i ever tell you that mm -hmm. i used to confuse the movie the little vampire and Stuart little because it has the same kid in it 
huh like um no you didn't tell me that but I, it's what what mm. the what the heck did you think Stuart little was about no like i i'm like have a bad like a false memory that they're like the same movie like they that they were involved somehow together and they're stitched mm. together and i don't know why so and they're both fever dreams right. insane i i have i have a memory of being very afraid of beetlejuice See, I only you you know this. I only recently saw mm-hmm. Beetlejuice, so yeah. I mean, it was kind of scary as a kid, and I was also a a a child that was aware of mortality, right? And so it did it did frighten me in a lot of ways. I but a lot of things like scared me as as a kid, mm. like. But it was always it was not monsters. It was always like. I hated the idea of being trapped. Like oh. there was like when I was little, there was one of uh like the the Winnie the Pooh movies would scare me because there's a part where, you know, Winnie the Pooh is hunting for a heffalump. Oh, uh, you yeah. know, in the woods and he gets trapped in this like pit and the walls are too steep and too slippery for him to climb out. Right. And I mean, Winnie the Pooh, let's face it, did horror right when they decided to, like, never show a heffalump uh, in that movie. Yeah. The the other thing, like, would always be, um, like, the Who's Tommy scared me. Hmm. Um, not with anything visual to it, necessarily, because, like, I, I didn't see the movie until I was older but I remember listening to the album with my dad and my dad explaining it to me. And I just remember being horrified by like oh, the no. idea of like, I, oh my God, what if I just woke up one day blind, deaf and dumb and had no way to communicate? Oh God, that's, those are deep that was fears, more, That was, yeah, no, those, those were my fears. Jeez. I, <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's heavy. I, um. I kind of feel that though. I don't think I was really scared of like monster movies per se or any of like werewolves and vampires, but like I was scared of bears, but like irrationally scared of bears because where I live, there's no, no bears. I, a, a fear of bears is not irrational, Joe. It they're is, terrifying. Yeah, they're terrifying, but it is when you think they're going to like break your door down. Like they will. I mean, I guess it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, fair enough. I also had like in er, I was very scared of the woods. Like mm. being alone in the woods or walking around the woods terrified me. To get an idea yeah. and I always gear people towards this. If you haven't seen the movie R- The Witch by Robert Eggers, watch it. That's exactly how I felt as a child in the woods. Like just mm-hmm. the ambiance of that movie for those of you at home you can go ahead and mark your bingo cards for joe <laughs> mentions the witch by roger Eggers. or the lighthouse right i <laughs> luckily i don't think i'm one of those i don't think i've entered like the lighthouse is the best movie of all time territory uh thankfully mm-hmm. but um you know it's never too late you know what i, I was wondering the other day how many people are in tame impala <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know it's just one guy <laughs> oh my god Anyway, I think I, I mean, are are there black bears in your part of New Jersey? Yeah. Well, okay. Um, maybe not as much so anymore. The ba- the ba- but the bear that you can scare away. Exactly. That's what I was saying. It's irrational. It's not like a grizzly bear or anything. But I don't know. I mean, gr- grizzly bears are. I, I think I've talked about this before, but grizzly bears are amazing to me because at least being out in Montana. Uh huh. 
everyone hikes. Everyone uh, does something outdoors. And it is just an accepted fact that there are these enormous monsters that live in the forest and they can run faster than you. They can climb faster than Mm. you. They can and will kill you. Uh, But we just kind of accept it, (laughs) you know? Yeah. That's it's like terrifying. how I it's like even if we proved there were sea monsters. Right. Which arguably there already are. Yeah. Um we just like vampires have very specific rules as to how to avoid them. Um just that I feel like having monsters wouldn't change life that much because yeah. we otherwise learned to deal with them. Unfortunately, in the case of like wolves and bears that is to drive them near to extinction yeah um from habitat loss and overhunting yeah but still i feel like i feel like if we were in a cohabitation relationship uh we would just find ways to live Mm -hmm. around them yeah i think so too i don't know how easy it's gonna be to live around vampires though if they were alive given we're a food source um, I mean, I feel like they would just find a way to live amongst us. Oh, um, that's true. You know, I'm sure there are people that believe they do. Yeah, um, that is fair. But this is also assuming that it's the kind of Dracula romantic stereotype of vampires. But maybe that's a mm-hmm. good segue into actually deep yeah, diving let's, into let's, this. Let's, let's actually, uh, let's talk Drac. Let's talk Drac. Let's get some drax would that be like the alternative facts for vampire i don't know anyway um so you know in starting i think with getting into vampire stories and wondering where does the story of dracula come from and ideas of eastern european you know vampires with accents and drinking wine but also blood and then you know killing people and Mm -hmm. so on where do these things come from where does that actually Where's that Hollywood stereotype and trope that we see everywhere from, you know, the actual book of Dracula to the more recent what we do in the shadows? Where's this coming Mm -hmm. from? And Mm -hmm. I wanted to start with this written report um, by a Habsburg medic and doctor named Dr. Johannes Flukinger. Flukinger? I has an umlaut, so yeah, this guy. Flukinger. Well, this dude's kind of weird. You don't need enough Flukingers anymore. <laughs> no. So in, in 1732, he travels to Mediva, uh, Serbia, because he was dispatched to this small village um, there, which I'm assuming was the name of this, um, which is at the ed- edge of the Habsburg Empire after reports mm-hmm. of multiple deaths in the village. And one of mm. the corpses... Um, was this recently deceased young mother who at the age of 20 died of childbirth, according to the doctor. However, he he reports that her internal organs, like her lungs and liver and spleen, are all still intact and that her skin is still fresh and vivid and that there's a pool of blood in her stomach and chest cavity. However, she's apparently supposed to have been dead for like two months. So, huh. He's immediately confused and, you know, wondering, how can this be? They've been dead for so long in this cold grave, you know? How um, is this possible? And so, according to him, the only rational reason that this is possible is because uh, she must have been turned into a vampire, rose from the grave, and has been feasting on people to retain this type of physical presence. Okay. Yeah, so... 
big if true big if true and the uh, you know you know if i if i if i was to go to that guy you know way back then and say mm-hmm. like hey there is a mammal that lives on the other side of the world that uh, has a duck's bill, lays the eggs, and is poisonous. He would have called right. me crazy, too. I mean, and I guess look so. look at us now. Look at us now. So according to these villagers, though, that are living there, they have also have... They, they, they say that the first that has been turned into said vampire was a Serbian mm-hmm. soldier who was named Arnod Paule who, after a sudden okay. and unexpected death, was seen wandering the village, sometimes in the shape of a black dog, as if he was hunting for something. And so more than 20 people died. How'd they know, how'd they know it was him if they saw a black dog? Exactly. It just was, <laughs> Sam. Just go with it. Oh, okay. Nobody else in the village has a black dog. There's nope. no feral dog. You're telling me this Eastern European village has no... Just roving packs of feral dogs. Apparently, uh, they do, but then apparently there's also just one that he turned into, according to them. I don't know, man. Okay. Just suspension of disbelief for the next two minutes. So okay, okay. then, you know, there's reports that over 20 people have died, and it's all, all like 20 people have died within a few months apart from one another and all kind of out of odd circumstances. Mm. And also, the doctor quoted that. Paule not only attacked people, but also was attacking cattle and sucking out their blood. And Mm. so this quickly spirals and these ideas of vampirism were spreading through Mediva and, you know, claims, make all kinds of crazy claims like that. You turned into Mm -hmm. a vampire from being directly um, bitten by, you know, said vampires where we get that kind of idea. But also if you eat meat that has also been infected by a vampire. So hypothetically, if a vampire eats something and then leaves it there and then you eat it you turn into a vampire and this is where we're going to start getting all kinds of these weird ideas Uh um of how you get infected and also that they were claiming that vampires would take on beastly forms and could transmit Mm -hmm. their infections through animals who would attack humans so Mm -hmm. now we're starting to get a bit of that rabies idea that we'll talk about a bit more too yeah well it's it's all it's all such paranoia like i hear you can get it this way i mean honestly yeah not not to be super topical but like if you look at recent plagues like covid or even Mm -hmm. aids you know the Oh, I heard you can get it from a toilet seat. I exactly. heard that someone handed me a piece of mail and mm-hmm. I got it. You know, like the paranoia comes through. Also, I mean, when people are paranoid and people go through traumatic things, conflicting eyewitness reports are also, right, right. you know, a, a big thing. Um, I guess I'm also curious, like, have they ever tried to attribute any of this to like, uh, a serial killer but like before it was understood what a serial killer was i mean i guess this would be kind of in that same vein because it was these killings in this village as one example were all mm-hmm. pinned on one person who started it and so right. you know in a way or was he a scapegoat like you know the, the i mean one... I can't, I don't know. I, he I, died, I, feel, I so. feel like that happened in history. There's one poor sap that's yeah. like a little off mm-hmm. and gets, if anything weird happens in town, they get blamed for it. I, I mean, absolutely. That's definitely happened. But I think even in the weird mm-hmm. case here, he died before any of it mm. did. So it's like oh. he was dead, but he was, 
Well, here's an interesting thing too. So he okay. w- was coming most likely from the front and the area of like said Habsburg Empire. And so this mm-hmm. is taking place in Serbia, which was we know was near the Balkans. And at that time, there was recently the treaty of um Passerwitz. Passerwitz? I I'm sorry if my pronunciation I've only is I've only butchered. ever read it. Yeah, yeah, and basically that was in 1718, which was the mm-hmm. exchange between the Habsburgs and the Ottoman Empire, uh, where mm-hmm. the Ottomans were giving, I think, that area to um, the Habsburgs, the Balkans, that is. Mm-hmm. And so there's already okay. this exchange of culture that was kind of ingrained between Eastern European mm-hmm. peoples and also Turkic and, um, you know, Turkic peoples, too in that region and vampires and myths of vampires have a very mm. strong origin story in you know egypt as well as then um in arabic cultures too and pretty much that like middle eastern area and then india mm-hmm. which i can mention in a few minutes so mm-hmm. it's very possible that these just were contributed to that but because he's coming from maybe these areas you know this is a recent sh- soldier they might have just assumed. I don't know. Like, there's something there that it has to be. Like, I- I'm assuming they would have known about these stories that were coming from the Ottoman Empire, and then you know all these different uh-huh. myths and folklore that are getting you know transmuted with witchcraft and magic right. and blending together into these completely different stories that we mm-hmm. have today. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, e- Eastern Europe. Europe in general is so interesting to us as, you know, one of those crossroads, one of those kind of push and shove types of locations, you know, when we think of in terms of culture and we think of and we think of a history of war, it is, you know, the 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 idea of the East and the idea of the West clashing and the people that just sort of exist on this um, this this culture that is weirdly at the center, but is at the fringes of anything mainstream. Exactly. And it's, it is backwater. I mean, yeah, that's kind of how it's treated too. And I mean, that's also kind of how it's treated Mm -hmm. in the Habsburg empire. So it is a bit Mm -hmm. like, there's a lot going on there within exchange. And I could, you could easily see the blending of folklore affecting how these things are thought so oh Mm -hmm. there's sudden you know cases of deaths and we you know oh well maybe it's a vampire or it's this creature that's killing our dead Mm -hmm. and coming back to live and you know it's something else it's not human it has to be from the Mm -hmm. death or if they were human they recently haven't been so yeah one thing too in wrapping that story up is that he the dr johannes flukinger great name uh, you know, <laughs> publishes that paper or his mm-hmm. journal that accounts of these um of these activities, and this was also quoted in the article that I've been that I mostly mm-hmm. read for this, which is a Natural History of Vampires by Eric Michael Johnson. But essentially, he was recounting that like up until the 1730s, the vampire myths aren't really that big in like Europe, or at least like mm-hmm. like this. It's not really that much. So hmm. this is quickly spreading like wildfire all over the place which fits that it fits that timeline of the um like 1600 1700 1800 you know vampire Mm -hmm. stories because they kind of existed but they were in a bit of a different vein like they were they weren't the same because like you know you the vampires would have been kind of grouped into the demons category do you Mm -hmm. know what i mean like in in um even in like 
um it, it was it was more of a creature it was like yeah um, yeah i would consider it into that it's not dracula yet it isn't a these like sophisticated intelligent mm-hmm. people's creatures well I but i th- yeah. i think i think that time period is also interesting because if you're going from like kind of that baroque age onward into the 1700s into that early modern period into the 1800s during all of that you will have you know europe pretty firmly coming out of the dark ages and a growing global awareness Mm. yes and i would assume then also a growing um paranoia about things outside of your own culture whereas i feel like in the middle ages i'm sure there were tons of superstitions and stuff but people did not travel nearly as much. People would have been exposed to much fewer things. And to me, at least, vampires strike me. At least the the sophisticated uh, creature that can pass itself off as human. Um, right. That, to me, strikes me as a paranoia of people who have to interact with people outside of their culture. Yeah, and I I would agree, to be honest, because even at Mm -hmm. that point, like, that type of vampire, that more modern idea shows up in, like, the 18th century, like, more so on the tail end of these stories, and then becomes its own thing. Which like by that That's, it's still it's still interesting. It's so recent in that way. Yeah, so it yeah. Feels, it feels like a more ancient tale. Well, that's the thing. Like you know, because there's these ideas of vampires as creatures that were in the grave, so to speak. They're almost like mm-hmm. zombies, and we're talking like hmm. earlier than what you were saying about the you know the paranoia and these creatures among us. Like they're treated as if when you die, there's a potential that you become this type of monster that's not mm-hmm. necessarily conscious they just feed on the ground or they you know um mm-hmm. that they yeah that they're just these these different types of like um mm-hmm. mo- yeah monsters that essentially exist in graveyards and can come out at night and feed and then they go back to their graves and this changes depending on the culture so to speak but like okay one thing that's interesting and that i was reading about and i think it's an in- it's a it's a fascinating idea on this and where vampire myths mm-hmm. come from, but essentially it's geared towards how a lot of these legends may have arose because there was a misunderstanding of how corpses decompose because in a lot of cases, like fingernails and teeth can appear to be growing bigger as the skin shrinks and there's always right. there was fluid coming yeah. out of a corpse's nose. So like, for example, mm-hmm. um, According to author Mark Collins Jenkins, one of the constants in the growing evolution of vampire legends is the relative proximity to disease and humans trying to kill vampires or prevent them from feeding, which would be a way to fight back against a misunderstood effect. And what Uh I was kind of curious uh about that was, you know, is that perhaps a way of fighting against disease when you don't necessarily know what's causing it? Not, though, to discredit people and say, like, Oh, they yeah, just like, didn't people understand. Were just dumb. I mean, no, no. Obviously, like, no shade to Mark Collins Jenkins, but it, that sounds like a made-up name. Like, you were told <laughs> on the spot to make up a name. Um, yeah, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you see that. You saw that in the Black Death. Yes. Um, yes. People that did not understand germ theory. Mm-hmm. 
trying to, uh, you know, explain a disease that seemed to be spread through the air, um, you know, and now, right. now we can understand it as, as a bacterial infection, mm-hmm. um, mostly spread by like fleas and, and, but, you know, also things that could be aerosolized. Yeah, it's, uh, it's it's fascinating hearing them try to work with what they have, work with their best estimations, you know, based on right. the limited science and expertise that they that they possess. I mean, um, I, I, especially like seeing that, you know, you do see the um, like the little bells that mm. you know they would put on the uh, old timey graves that you could try to ring in case you were buried while uh, you were still alive. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, who knows how many times that actually happened, right. but it does calm sort of a fear of, Yeah, exactly. Know, yeah. It's like throwing... Being buried alive. Well, yeah, and what this is also terrifying, and I'm sure has mm-hmm. happened. And so it's like throwing salt over the shoulders, right? Or, like, the, these yeah. different kind of superstitions. Like, I'll give you an example, because I'm, I'm glad you mm-hmm. brought up the plague. And mm-hmm. because it's true that they are, um, a lot of vampire scares would have coincided with more of the tail end of the Black Plague. But again, it's like a different type of vampire. But anyway, like in 2006, mm-hmm. archaeologists actually uh, uncovered a 16th century Venetian skull with a brick in its mouth. Oh? Yeah. Apparently, this is a way it was like a. You know, um, I've you know I've woken up a little down in the mouth before, but yeah, imagine being buried with a brick. Let me tell you, folks. <laughs> they basically said that the reason this happens was to prevent the strega, which translates to witch, which is also weird that the, for the translation. But anyway, basically yeah. presenting strega this. Strega Well, yeah, that's what I think of. But no, it's the monster. Yeah. It basically, you put a brick in the mon- in the dead person's mouth to prevent a, the monster that it's going to turn into from eating the living, which I'm going to be honest with you, feels very Italian. Like just the yeah, way of, there's, of there's going some, about. Well, that. yeah, that that's that that's that uh, that dark, creepy Italian stuff that we love. Yeah, it's it's to me, it's also interestingly like reminiscent of like in Hellenistic burial yeah. practices, like um, you know, burying someone with like a coin over uh, their yes, eyes the, or in their mouth, you know, yes. to pay the guy to take you across the river Styx. Exactly. Well, because like you I know, also don't think. Like, I mm-hmm. wonder how legitimate all of these fears are, or if it's mm-hmm. just tradition. Do you know what I mean? Like, I don't know how well, much... Well, I guess, I guess the thing is, like, why not do this to... Ev- was this done to, like, a lot of bodies, or was there just one guy, and there were, like, uh, Pietro over there, we're a little worried he's gonna come back as a vampire. I don't so know, Make sure you thing. put a brick in his mouth, or was that just standard, everybody gets a brick I don't think mouth. it's everybody, I don't think it's everybody. That's a lot of bricks. It's a lot of bricks, and it's a waste of resource, I guess, in that sense. This is where I think it differs from, it differs from, like, the coins to pay for the, the, um, to cross the river sticks to pay the boatmen. Like, I think mm-hmm. this was just, this is one of those traditions. Like, remember how I was saying there's just a ton of these mm-hmm. different rituals and traditions to prevent the dead from coming back? Mm-hmm. This feels like it's part of that. Like, maybe mm. they did it to some people and then others they didn't. Only one I, person's allowed to come back from the dead. Apparently. I don't really know the preventions for it, but I also think it's there is definitely more to it. I think if we spend mm-hmm. a long time going back and through text and trying to find those answers it's possible mm-hmm. but i feel like at the end of it it's gonna end up being a little ridiculous like the reason why you yeah. know what i mean like but here's like here's mm-hmm. the thing though i i don't know how 
much of this actually spiraled in a way that we feel it, or if it was like a couple people that were really mm-hmm. kind of crazy about vampires being real, and everybody else was kind of like, yeah, maybe. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, because like to give you to like you know mm-hmm. these continue throughout the 17th, 18th, 18th centuries as we know in in Europe specifically, mm-hmm. but like that's until the Pope Pope Benedict the 14th has to declare vampires, and I quote. Felicious fictions of human fantasy. Wow! If it if it takes the Pope, yeah, who was like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Stop! They're not real. There's no biblical text to support it. They are not. They are made up by people. They are essentially a fan fiction, quite literally. And even like the Habsburg ruler at the time, Maria Theresa, uh, condemns vampire myths as superstition and fraud. And then they kind of mm-hmm. slow down a little bit, but. Mm. Okay. It's still like it took that much for them in at least Europe to be like enough. Like this is not because I think there I wonder, was a confusion yeah. between religion and then the folklore, which is also really yeah. interesting that they're combating each other. Yeah. But I wonder too, like with a lot of cultures where you have hierarchy, um you will have the people that see any um you know, th- there's a class element where people that believe in superstitions like this are of a less ele- uh, less right. sophisticated, less educated class of people. Right. But at the same time, folklore does pose a bit of a threat to mainstream religion it's and true. control. Yeah. Um, in in a lot of ways, uh, even if uh, that folklore can be incorporated into the religion, and this isn't also like me like saying like all religion is bad or something, but Mm -hmm. you can see like the, um, I I think you could look through history and see the relationship that, uh, you know, something, something like a a superstition like this would have, uh, and you know, it sort of being looked down upon as a superstition of the lower class. Definitely. And I guess it's, I guess it's it's interesting to co- sort of hear that it was coming in sort of waves of interest too. Have you ever read Dracula? I haven't actually. Mm. One of the things about Dracula that I think a lot of people don't realize is the way the narrative is construction constructed. Um, it's com- it's written as if it is a com- a-, a compilation of letters and news articles. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so you're reading it as if you're reading someone's file uh, that right. they're that they are putting together. Of these are the correspondence and the reports that, mm. when you put them together, track the movement of Dracula. Oh uh, you know, and right. and the and these characters that are trying to stop him. You know, also, uh, you know, Van Helsing. I can't help but imagine is you know in some part, you know, because he is Dutch, uh, right. in some part inspired by this idea of a Dutch doctor, you know, who is on the cutting edge of vampire research, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if, I forget where Van Helsing was supposed to have gone to school, um, mm. but I I guess he he got his, maybe minored in vampirology. Vampirology. <laughs> yeah, he had the text on it. Hi there, my name is Colby White, and I'm one of the hosts from Force Football Facts, a podcast where my friend Zachary and I force our other friend Tyrell to give us insights into the game, even though he doesn't know anything about it. 
We use our humor to bring you weekly football news in a new way that takes fan opinions into account while also helping new fans understand why we love this game so much. You can check us out on our website, forcefootballfacts.com, or wherever podcasts are available. Hope to see you soon. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I saw the text uh, in Barnes & Noble right next to Dragonology. Right. Oh, man. I, I had the Egyptology. Um, mm. my favorite. I still have that actually somewhere in the library. <laughs> um, but like, yeah, it's it is interesting. I, I feel like that's like the original mockumentary then, but like in narrative in novel form, maybe. Yeah, but yes, I I think <laughs> I think so. Um, definitely, definitely meant to be taken as a horror story. And I've oh, also yeah, talked yeah. about before. We're like spoiler alert. Only like three characters with names die in dracula right right. and only one of them is directly from dracula interesting (laughs) i okay yeah it feels a hmm, maybe i will have to read that eventually um yeah but like you know it it is the vampire i feel like that we are like when you think of vampires, you think of Dracula, or you think of Castlevania, yes. like which is also Dracula. So like this kind of like, <laughs> you know, it's this it's a pivotal work. I mean, yeah, it's I think it's arguably an important one in terms of how it mm-hmm. defines, you know, monster movie or monster fiction and pop culture later on, um, whether positive or negative. But like the thing is too, it's coming out of that aristocratic version of vampires, right? Like yes, whereas to these earlier ones are not and i think that that's a very mm-hmm. it's a very important difference like to to give an example the there's a german folklore version of um of a type of vampire i guess if we want to call it that but basically it's a 17th century uh it's a 17th century creature t- called a noxzer or an after devourer that's what it's named and okay. essentially, they're a type <laughs> of vampire that lived in their graves and would devour their burial shrouds. And there have been mm. accounts of them occasionally leaving the grave to feed on people, which changed their mythology a bit. But, you know, mm. unlike these, unlike Dracula, unlike Romanian vampires, like that kind of specific version of things, right? They, um, or Eastern European vampires. They, mm-hmm. They're really not moving from their position. They're kind of stuck where they're at, and they live there. And actually, this had a big impact in the New England area, weirdly and not going back to the U.S. Um, hmm. So there's a lot of actual rituals and anti-vampire rituals that are held within the New England area in the 19th century. Um, and uh, Yeah, weirdly enough. <laughs> and like according to this folklorist, Michael Belly estimates that there was over 60 known examples of anti-vampire rituals that were conducted in the 18th to 19th century new england <laughs> 60 60 known God, like why the, the why pil- are they so the pilgrims, specific the pilgrims can't catch a break they've got witches and now they've got vampires well yeah and like this is this is where apparently that that um this gets connected to the uh Nakzeher because when hessian soldiers were you know being employed mm-hmm. by the british during the revolution they were bringing some of those um the, these rituals that they brought to were actually um, introduced as medical procedures at the time. And that was the connection of bringing over this Noxzeher myth, mm. this idea of what this is. And it actually then affects 
how some of that was translated within the New England areas. Now, according uh-huh. to said the same uh, folklorist Michael Bell, he was arguing that the New England vampire threat would have been more like the Romanian tradition and, and so on, the Eastern European tradition of prevention. So we're getting the stake in the hearts, you know, holy water, mm-hmm. fire, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. chop them into pieces and scatter or whatever. You know, there's so many. It's kind of ridiculous. And then it just kind of keeps building. But, you know, there is this thing that's for sure that there is um, a lot of these stories are connected to disease and disease prevention, um, whether good or bad. But this is where I think you see the change, where it goes from okay. the Noxeher, you know, these creatures living in the ground that devour um, their dead bodies, so to speak, or other dead bodies, which mm-hmm. is, I guess, a nice metaphor for decay. But then yeah. you get the arist- aristocratic person or vampire that lives in their castle and stalks people, and then is mm-hmm. very, you know, very sexual, very seductive, and is right. It is a different trope, and it becomes this completely different uh, thing, so to speak. And then it even gets mm-hmm. developed further within movies and fiction, and and so on. So I think that's a big difference and something that I found personally very interesting of where that line gets drawn and then drawn again every so often throughout history. So like, you know, ranging mm-hmm. from as early as Sekhmet in Egypt, one of the um, the goddesses, to then, you know, these versions of Dracula, it's kind of wild how much the idea of creature that sucks blood and only lives at night can, well, mm-hmm. maybe not even that, mm-hmm. honestly, just creature that devours human blood goes and expands into these crazy rules and you know regulations so to speak of the vampire (laughs) code vampires are you know this uh this this symbol of uh human uh death inevitable entropy but they got rules but they got rules they have so many rules it's kind of ridiculous and they i think they just kept getting (laughs) added on like that's one of the reasons i love what we do in the shadows as a show so Mm -hmm. much because mm-hmm. they kind of make fun of that whole idea. Like, they mm-hmm. have to, they're going to try the vampires for murder, but there's a vampiric council and they have to go through the bureaucratic version of things. Mm-hmm. And nobody mm-hmm. really knows what they're doing because it's so old and outdated that it's just ridiculous. Right. Like, you have right. these blood sucking monsters, according to said, mm-hmm. you know, myths, but then mm-hmm. they have like a system to deal with these like crimes mm-hmm. and other things. And yeah. it's just, it's, it's ridiculous. But that's kind of the, that's kind of the best part. You know, in a sense of like playing also, on that. It's also the it's the comforting part, yeah. to them, uh, in the way that uh, you can look at our world as messy and chaotic and terrifying mm-hmm. in in one sense that, uh, you know that there's a lot of good people, but there are other people that act selfishly and have decisions that compound into unforeseen uh inevitabilities Mm. uh that even the original perpetrator could not have possibly imagined right but if you believe in conspiracy theory we Mm. don't live in chaos we live in a world that is tightly controlled by uh super secretive people yeah but there are things that they will deliberately not do. And that is honestly comforting because you are no longer 
if if you have that mindset, you are no longer living in chaos. There is a reason right. for everything that happens, you know? Yeah, for sure. There is that comfort in knowing, or at least it's yeah, like, okay. So, yeah, mm-hmm. so like as terrifying as a vampire could be, there are certain things a vampire could not do, a vampire would not do. Right, exactly. And then it's like, okay, well, we know they can't do this, so we can prevent them in the other ways. Like, you can kind of prepare yes. yourself. And I think, like, that is, yeah, that's a good way to put it about the living in chaos versus this kind of order, so to speak, mm-hmm. or whether it be fictional or not. I, um, well, I mean, this, in this case, yes. But, like, I, mm-hmm. I think that's kind of one of the interesting parts about all of these myths is that there is yeah. these ways of prevention, which kind of leads me into the other um, creature that I wanted to bring up today on mm-hmm. our, on our, you know, spooky tour, which given that we mm-hmm. open talking about Twilight, I feel like it's only fitting that we also talk about werewolves a little bit. Um, uh-huh, yeah. Because it's still following that same thread of person that turns into a creature that devours other people, even uh-huh. though they're different and they have their own kind of weird set of rules and folklore attached to them, but then also just like... <sighs> and catchy piano riffs. Yeah, that's very true. I, I was wondering if we're going to make a Werewolves of London joke here. Um, yeah, I mean, it's better than uh, All Summer Long by Kid Rock. I guess that's true, yeah. I mm-hmm. uh, It wasn't for me. But so I, I kind of wanted to talk a little bit, too, about this other possible theory of where the origins of werewolves come from, if you'll indulge mm-hmm. me a little bit. Similar to kind of what we were talking about with the vampires. And then we can sort of recap these two side by side together and do some pro Mm -hmm. and cons. Mm -hmm. But there's an essay called The Origin of the Werewolf Superstition by Carolyn Mm -hmm. Taylor Stewart, which is pretty much where this theory is going to be coming from, who Mm -hmm. discusses that while, like, basically that this is a myth that exists across culturally. You know, there's ideas of werewolves in, or people, like shapeshifters, I guess is probably the better word for this taking place Mm -hmm. in africa asian countries european countries as well as then north america within indigenous communities and i saw twilight i know yeah yeah of course that's a bad yeah the best representation you can get (laughs) oh my god um what a mess but so what she was saying though is that while certain areas might not have a wolf population specifically the culture would just substitute them with the most carnivorous and powerful creature that they have so Mm -hmm. like for example that's why in um, Africa specifically, you get a lot of stories of people turning into lions or hyenas. Or in South mm-hmm. America, uh, people wanting to, or people would be turning into jaguars. That would be the creature of choice that these stories oh. would come out of. I've also heard. I don't know where specifically culturally this comes from, but I know like in games that mix a lot of lore from like Nordic countries, you get a lot of mm-hmm. stories of people turning into bears, like berserkers and so on. Right. Well, there's. An interesting historical phenomenon when it comes to this, because you would think, well, what makes that animal different from just any other lion, wolf, bear? Right. Uh, And this actually takes us back to a couple of exhibits ago. This was something I neglected to talk about. You know, I, I could see a theory like this, if this theory is kind of going where I think it's going, Mm -hmm. because you would say you probably would recognize an individual animal that was going after humans. And it would probably seem like an individual that was doing it. 
Um, because for a lot of those large predators, what often happens is as they get older, and in the case of lions, they can be kicked out of their uh, groups, they can be kicked right. out of their prides, their packs, um, or they get so old that their teeth uh, are so worn down that they can no longer hunt big game. A lot of these large predators will turn to humans. So these are recognizable individuals. There's uh, a couple of very famous uh, instances of this with uh, old lions in Africa, uh, you know, with mm. a European occupation. These lions that uh, once they were in eventually captured or, and killed, I should say, uh, it was found that their teeth were incredibly worn down. These would have been very old lions that the only thing that they could go after would have been humans. Interesting. That mm -hmm. is, it's not specifically where this direction is going, but mm -hmm. it's in the same idea. And I feel like this okay. is, you should be entering this into the new, the new forms of ideas right. because I really like that a lot. Um, yeah. And it makes a lot of sense. What Stuart was proposing is that mm -hmm. the stories are actually stemming from the advancement made in hunting techniques used by ancient peoples mm -hmm. where they would set up dummy predators made out of the different, like, you know, predator mm -hmm. pelts. So, for example, like wolf skins okay. or would wear them in order to, like, hunt their prey, but then also trick enemies into thinking that those were also said creatures. So, and then you get okay. that. That's because this is also where you're starting to get the incorporation of animal skins and wolf skins specifically used in like traditional rituals and it's getting attached mm -hmm. to different identities like so for example um the pawnee were dubbed with the name wolves by their neighboring tribe because they would spy on them while wearing these pelts and would sneak around like wolves so like to quote to this this sentence the idea of the harmfulness to other men of a man in animal disguise became deeply seated um, now. Mm -hmm. So that's, I mean, this is obviously more specific to like North America, mm -hmm. but I, you know, I think there's something interesting in that where the combination of humans mm -hmm. identifying that predators are eating the same animals that they need to go after so they can take on those traits are camouflage, so to speak, and then become a part of that. So there's this, I don't know, there's something interesting about that blend, right? Like the kind of literal turning into an animal because you start to see it in different uh, folklore. And like in Africa, again, for instance, and I don't know exactly which specific area, but I know there was stories of, or legends of um, a man who would turn into a lion for a so long period of time. Aww. And then his wife would be bringing him like, beer and food in order to keep alive and occasionally medicine but then in other mm -hmm. stories there's accounts of people turning into hyenas which would have been more akin to mm -hmm. you know wolf-like mm -hmm. creatures so to speak and they would mm -hmm. feed on corpses mm -hmm. and graveyards and so on so it's that same modern tendency that we have of looking at werewolves um and mm -hmm. i think you know i think that those are all in included but i do think that one of the main reasons that this comes up is rabies and i yes. i think that is kind of where this is bringing us to even a little bit included with the vampire myth because i don't know if you yes. you know remembering going back a bit earlier in this conversation where i was discussing the guy turning into a black dog that was on the hunt you know 
yeah, that it that an animal again, a recognizable individual animal would right. have been acting out of out of character. Exactly, you know? exactly. So it's something like they do become this other creature, this other thing, and that's terrifying because mm-hmm. I'm you know I've never I've personally never seen anything have rabies. I can only imagine how scary it is, um, and not mm-hmm. especially if you don't know what it is necessarily. Now, of course, in the in the 17th and 18th centuries would people have known what it was probably <laughs> right like you you i'm sure it the, happened enough some yes there would have been probably some awareness i guess of of a disease like that but it's probably what also lends itself to folklore exactly um, exactly some some sort of ideological origin of right uh, of some sort of vaguely understood notion i mean they understand it as transmittable. Yes, yes. Which is a big part of vampire and werewolf myths, you know, mm-hmm. that you can also um be made into this evil creature. You can right. be made to forget or abandon your humanity. Exactly. And yeah. At the end of the day, that's what a lot of this this fear is that you will still be living but you know Mm. you like don't have a soul or you do not have your your human compassion that's what that's what all of these fears of the undead and everything are whether Mm -hmm. it's zombies or you know uh wendigos or anything it's all of these uh it's it's all this idea of a corruption of humanity yes yeah absolutely i think Mm -hmm. that is the common thread that is woven mm-hmm. between these. Because as much as I am interested to in, in, in the connection to like decay and the misunderstanding mm-hmm. of modern science, mm-hmm. so to speak, I feel like there is this arrogance attached to that. Um, right. And it's deeper than that. It's deeper than, oh, people from the past didn't understand that. Because that's linear mm-hmm. thinking, and mm-hmm. I don't think we yeah. really want to be so um supportive of that right i mean obviously at this point i think it's very clear that i'm not and i don't think you are either (laughs) sam so and and it's because it's like things are just more interesting yes i Uh mean thank you for clarifying that but it it is also worth mentioning that at least in a contemporary sense a lot of people from marginalized groups tend to actually identify with the monsters in these old right, stories right. because they might have been treated like a monster in that time period yeah you know, that the person that doesn't fit in the person that feels like an outsider the thing that's misunderstood and the the performative evil of it all is is just is just an aspect to it you know right it's it's a um it's othering quite literally yeah there was um in in the castlevania show on netflix which is very good and i do recommend it but i actually Mm -hmm. kind of i i did like their twist on the um it's maybe not a twist but it's like the way that they position the perspective of the vampires or dracula's perspective was that it's based on science versus the church and it's deeper Mm. than this and it's a lot more complicated because there's kind of evil involved anyway Mm -hmm. but like it's you know, he is, and this is the first episode, so sorry, spoilers, but, like, he <laughs> falls in love with this scientist who is practicing medicine, more homeopathic herbal medicines, and, like, helping people in their village, 
moving from village right. to village and then is being persecuted by the church. This is all happening mm-hmm. in Wallachia. So I guess it's Romania. And mm-hmm. um, um, it just doesn't go well at all. And there's lots of death. And, you know, he snaps. But there's this there's this feeling and notion, too, to the story of mm-hmm. religious persecutions of people and specifically the destruction of folklore and tradition of and mm-hmm. of other practices that don't really fit into an organized religion's idea of what it needs to. And I also think yeah. that, there, you know, and this, and of course, then it pushes in the idea of science and knowledge being removed. And we see that a lot throughout mm-hmm. history, obviously, too. But I think it, it it was an interesting way of looking at it. And I think even, too, and seeing this with the connection of, like, even Eastern Europe as the setting for a lot of these things, or Germany, too, it's it's a bit interesting looking at the cultural connections of those areas for mm-hmm. a potential reason as to why they come up. And I, because mm-hmm. I think that that's a very um, important role that it plays. Like even, I think, I think part of my interest with vampires came out of the Witcher series, more specifically the third video game that I like very much. But, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I often forget that the writer's, polish and the company that made it is polish uh-huh. so the way they portray monster myths and stories of these things is more eastern european folklore oriented and with its own mythologies from those areas it's not more of the wet like the you know western european idea of the vampire they have them but it's different it's more monster stories than it is and then there's some that are higher up um and i mean i wasn't even going to mention this as a part of the examples but i think it's worth putting there because of that interest in how different cultures being influenced from different areas affect how something looks and what it can be but then obviously these things transform over time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yes yes yeah. i i could see this being the type of thing that could evolve and change over over time and as as paranoias change and ideas of what a monster is change that's this is this is all very interesting i'm i'm wanting to take it in and everything i think the other thing that this is um at least within a european context this feels like it is building to inevitably the question are vampires anti-semitic yeah that is the question um Mm -hmm. and no i know i've heard a lot to mm-hmm. more recently analyzing that and mm-hmm. it is it's something i'm i i am concerned about to be honest mm-hmm. right of how that yeah. looks and i i'm actually kind of curious on your opinions on this and mm-hmm. how that is because i i think there's some elements there um mm-hmm. but in the second half as we discussed of where these start to come from, but yes. I'm, now I'm honestly, I'm not sure. So I'm, I'm curious to hear your, your opinion on this too. Well, if I can wildly speculate for a moment, okay. Um, as, as I often do here, <laughs> uh, this, this is a space We're for t- me to be right. able to do that. Of course. I could see this being a situation where all of these things seem to be responses to humans interacting with nature, grappling with their own mortal mortality, yada, yada, right, yada. Right. Um, and then I could see a later period where this is, um, usurped 
for political reasons and stereotypes about Jews that happened to line up or really any stereotypes about foreigners are grafted on top of an existing mythology. Um, You know, you could, if you, if you want to look at like early 20th century authoritarian Europe, um, you know, with the, with the rise of the fascists, Mm -hmm. they're hijacking a lot of different cultures in the name of some sort of story of national, ancient national identity. Right, Um, right. And, you know, there's a lot of groups of people that uh, obviously pose a threat to a the idea of a country being based solely on ethnicity, you know? Mm -hmm. But let's just take the Jews as the example in Germany in particular, even though, you know, they were also, you know, against Romani and Poles and, you know, Slavs. Right. They didn't like any of them. Uh, uh, But but the true... the, The true fear of the Jews that set them apart is Judaism uh actually is not just a another group of people another tribe to be conquered as you expand the german empire the jews presented a more existential threat it was international it was multi-ethnic um it was not it sometimes was based on religion it sometimes wasn't Hmm. it's Here's here's the thing about about Jewish conspiracy, Joe. I'll I'll let you in on the secret. Okay. Jews can't agree with each other on anything. Um and if you talk to 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 anyone, you will realize that there are so many opinions within any marginalized group. Right. Uh that there there is no no mo- there is no possibility for monolithic uh insurgent conspiracy mm. uh but you do have a group of people that has been living amongst the what is seen as the uh established population that are subversive by their very existence right. um that they they go along with society but they're also doing all this other stuff we don't like, like critiquing things and, uh, you know, I- introducing modern art, uh, mm. you know, like th- there's there's. W- whether it's uh, any of these places, the idea of the foreigner that comes in and would make you less of what you are culturally because of what they bring with them. You know, even though mm-hmm. the Jews had been living there for centuries. Right. But but the idea that they would bring something else in and take something away from you, that very easily grafts onto this idea that was maybe at one point more kind of an animalistic worry that you could catch this disease that um, yeah. makes you less human. This is a more more of like an idea of cultural disease. It's not just that, you know, um, they hate these people. It's that they're afraid of them. They're afraid right, right. that they 
they represent a different way of living. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. So it's it's uh it it is it is more complicated than just uh vampires are anti-Semitic or anti uh or or just like xenophobic against Eastern Europeans, you know, settling in Great Britain, it, it, as in the case of uh, Dracula. But I think, right. crucially, Dracula also, I feel like, has codings of a dandy, of a of a more feminine, modern man. Yeah. Um, if, if, if you can put it that way. That this is, uh, th- this was what was so uh, existentially dangerous about the idea of a dandy you know Mm. a a new man um right right and it's it's difficult to say with only one with one other thing and it's it's okay so we're, we're hearing all of this mythology become you know it sounds like there was a lot of probably conflicting things this probably also is what lends to the myriad of different conflicting rules about vampires is there probably was innumerable different versions of those stories all across Mm -hmm. uh the geography that were then sort of unified and collected in the romantic era yep um and sort of uh galvanized by dracula and I don't know where this factoid fits into all of this, but are you aware of what, at least in Europe, the origin of the blood libel is? The the idea that, um, you know, Jews uh, use the blood of children uh, in, in worship? Um, not really, to be honest. So it actually has a specific date associated with it on... Good Friday in 1144 mm. in the United Kingdom, or what am I saying? In England. In <laughs> England. Like you're going to make a lot of people <laughs> mad really quick. Oh, yeah. You know, it, Ireland, England, one of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> oh, no. we've, we've already made everyone mad. It's Everybody true. has vampires and everyone is mad at us. I right. get it. <laughs> so, uh, so. We're we're talking about in the twelfth century, there was a little boy that went missing on Good Friday in eleven forty four, and a woodsman found his body. Uh and it was blamed on the uh Jewish population that lived there. Um at that point in history, uh they would have been Sephardic Jews. Mm. Uh so this this uh isn't even Eastern European Jews. This is just uh the, the Sephardic population that probably would have lived there uh as as bankers or as as people kind of in in that world in the world of right uh finance uh adjacent to aristocracy type of stuff gotcha, gotcha. you know or, or merch i should say more mercantilism um okay so it, it's really interesting that like this myth has like a start date in the right. in the 12th century um and it's it's fascinating that like it uh it still is around to this day based mm. off this one child murder that probably was not even perpetrated by those people right right yeah huh um and and then gets conflated later i think with 
you know, now there's this association of blood sucking with these these Eastern Europeans who were would not have been Sephardic. Those would have been even if you wanted to try to graft Judaism onto it, it's it, there. They would have been Ashkenazi. Um, right. But right. I, I, I imagine to the English, it's all the same. Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in another sense. Um, but like that there, there, there's probably a lot of different things that we could point to as origin stories for these monsters. And, mm-hmm trying to make sense of the scary things around us you know for sure yeah it's it's probably more complicated um but that is where a lot of this really great research i think that you've brought us like sheds some light onto all that because it's super fascinating like Mm -hmm. when you want to really research this stuff and not approach it just as people were superstitious and dumb but yeah um like I, I had never heard the animal pelt uh yeah, hypothesis. I hadn't either, and I'm really interested in it. Like I, I want to do further reading as well. Like it's it's very fascinating, like that idea. And I think there's something there. I don't know, you know, I'm only getting a glimpse of it, I I think, in terms of the whole. I think there's a lot of research there to be, you know, read and maybe furthered, but I think it's a very plausible idea and also that connection that we have with animals i also really like what you mentioned about the idea of the singular you know predator that's kind of at the end of its time end of its life um attacking humans which makes a lot of sense and i i i think there's just because presumably if these people were living with wilderness they would understand that you know wolves aren't going to like necessarily come into our village right you know, right other they, than maybe like sniffing around like a trash pile or something yeah for like, sure it's wolves wolves you know like th- there's one guy there that understands how wolves work and everybody listens to him yeah he's, exactly he's liam neeson yes oh my god that movie <laughs> crazy crazy film um yes. but like i I think that's kind of why it's interesting to start to find the research of, okay, you know, where do these myths come from with, and really interrogate them though, because it is easy to find yourself Mm -hmm. in conspiracy land with vampires, as you were just mentioning too, and very anti-Semitic territory, very Mm -hmm. fast, I should say. Uh, It's scary, to be honest, Mm -hmm. how much that gets involved. And I don't, you know, and, and whether it comes, it's been there since its origin or not, I uh-huh. I don't know quite frankly but I think that it's important to address the address that it might as well be and that people do uh-huh. claim it to be now and that uh-huh. is problematic you know and needs yes. to be looked at that way so I but I do think at the same time that these stories are quite interesting and it is a bit deeper than any one set well like it it is uh-huh. inherent with that folklore right like yeah. it, it is something bigger than that so obviously like always interrogating the subject matter Mm -hmm. that you're looking at and with a critical lens so as to not fall into these problems but then seeing okay well is it this is it because that they were didn't know what a dead body looks like or is this just somebody that (laughs) said Mm -hmm. a a story and it just got translated differently over time because you know when as i mentioned the first story of the the doctor you know johannes flunkinger in 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 Serbia, it's like it's very possible that the reason we have a lot of those 
ideas behind what happened there is because it was passed on so many times vocally yeah and it's, a, it. it's a game of telephone exactly, exactly but it is in response to specific circumstances in history you could look yes. at the um the, the the idea of american ghost stories originating yeah. with um the 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 countless people that died or you know never came home from the civil war right yeah. uh in in america there's there's all of these uh factors that go into our myth making um you mm-hmm. know and it it can you know be like a sort of like contemporary tulpa type scenario yeah, with like yeah. slenderman oh um, yeah absolutely but they 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 weirdly always follow the logic of the time <laughs> yeah that's very true mm-hmm. um mhm yeah, I I think it is it is odd that they do follow. Well, it, yeah, I I think with all of these though, including the the werewolf um myths as well, I do think that there mm-hmm. is that there is a connection to them. And I know, mm-hmm. you know whether or not our answers are correct, I think a lot of the times it's just going to be theory and and more probable mm-hmm. answers as we find better ones to substitute them, but at the end yeah. of the day, I think it is just an interesting deep dive into folklore and you know human creation but then at the same time where these things come from and what we can learn from that and what we can learn to avoid too yeah yeah i uh i i completely agree and i think this was uh this was a fun thing to kind of get to talk about i think we're uh i think our october is really picking up some steam oh yes yeah and uh it's only gonna get spookier only gonna get spookier definitely got a lot more in store with that um Mm -hmm. yeah i'm glad we could be able to do this in our we could finally use the castle on the hill that we've never really talked about um even though i know yeah i can't i can't believe you just let that thing uh, you know stay stay i mean i think uh you know that this might have been the castle they shot retro puppet master in starring greg sestero of the room um it might have been it might have been yeah i mean there's there's a lot of wonderfully cheap low budget films Mm. shot in um weirdly easily acquirable uh european castles gotta do something Uh, with them gotta do something no one wants to live in who wants to live in a castle they're drafty and cold <laughs> i would make it work I mean, um <laughs> oh my god you're gonna come in with a cape <laughs> it would finally be like the reason i've been looking for to wear a cape <laughs> i i do think that talking about this mythology and stuff though at, in the future at some point we have to talk about dragons we um, do we do need to talk about dragons that's a whole other crazy yes. thing too we can break out the dragonology text yeah, the, tome, the ancient the... <laughs> sacred text. Uh, but uh, yeah, what a uh, what do you view got going on with yourself uh, in in this uh, in uh, this spooky time of year? Um, not too much going on. Working on some new research projects as well as videos that I've been doing. Um, you know, trying to get in the spooky season. I recently started back into soup. It is soup time now, uh, so I don't know what you want to do with that information, but I guess if you haven't started eating soup, it's time to do it. Um, you heard it here first. You heard it here. Um, on- yeah, I mean, I'm sure settling in, do the annual viewing of Over the Garden Wall. Of course, of um, course, as we, you have to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, uh, cool, cool. Uh, yeah. well, I guess on my end, uh, I guess it, by the time you're listening to this, uh, my work will still be up at, uh, Bula Barua, um, and, uh, the Critters show, I believe, is done. Uh, so, yeah, I will, I don't have any too big announcements that I can make just yet. Just, uh, you know, working on art, putting out, trying to put out work more regularly on Instagram and mm. TikTok. You can find me on there. If you want to uh, follow the museum after hours, we are at Uncanny Museum on Twitter and at Uncanny County Museum on Instagram. Uh, I think uh, I think we've come up. We we've we we can synthesize, uh, mythologize some <laughs> new memes from oh, our yeah. conversation here today. Oh yes. Uh, if you have a particular topic that you'd like us to talk about, if you have any corrections for us or any notes, we really appreciate you reaching out. Uh, feel free to contact us on either of those sites. Um, also, you know, leave us a rating review if that uh, if we've moved you that much. That really, really helps us. Please, please. Mm -hmm. I'm at Xanasaurus on Instagram and uh, at Zanfordy Man on TikTok. And I'm at Josemino Art on Instagram. All right. And from the Uncanny County Museum. I have been Zana Peters. And I have been Joe Chimino. Bye-bye. Salute. No, that's Kalaf. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>